Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and I'm the host of this podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome a special guest to us, uh, Justin Gibney, who is an attorney and a political strategist in Atlanta, Georgia. Justin completed his education at Vanderbilt University, where he played football and completed his law degree. He served as a delegate to the Democratic National Convention. He came to believe that truth transcends party lines and that evangelical Christians need to engage in politics as Christians, not as Democrats or Republicans. He started an organization called the Ann Campaign, seeking to help Christians engage the political realm as Christians and to combine biblical values and a commitment to social justice. Justin, thank you so much for being on the podcast and welcome. Thanks for having me, Peter. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your your story and how you came to see the need for something different among Christians, particularly in the political realm? Sure. Uh, a few years after uh, I graduated from law school, I, I moved from Nashville to Atlanta and um, started working in politics after you know working my firm and then initially, eventually started working in politics. Uh, I really enjoyed it, so I was kind of helping out on campaigns, eventually started running campaigns, doing political strategy over time, been doing that for about a decade. Mm. Uh, but early on, I began to realize, obviously, Atlanta is a, uh, a big uh, a city um, and a, a very progressive city. And one of the things that I noticed was that a lot of my friends who are running for office are also people who, uh, who I was running their campaign. They might have had very biblical values, mm-hmm. but when they ran for office, for some reason, there was a lot of pressure to go left on a lot of issues. Okay. And so uh, I was trying to understand why is that? Why is it that, you know, the people I go with, to church with where you're very biblical when it comes to the family and sexual ethic, when it comes sure. to things like abortion— why is it that people? Why is it that those people in cities that run for office can't maintain those values? Yeah, um, and so it's something I struggled with for, for quite a while, and then I began to realize that it was kind of a matter of organization. Um, I think the secular progressive element in cities, um, because of their resources and things of that nature and, and their organization control the reward and punishment mechanism within politics. Okay. So they kind of decide, you know, who gets exposure, who gets funding, who gets sure. endorsements and who gets kind of thrown to the side. <laughs> uh, and once you realize that you, you know, most people, most politicians almost by the nature of the job to some extent, uh, just kind of go along, go along with what they would uh, go along with it just to be in office. Sure. And I saw that as problematic, be almost a, um, miscarriage of democracy, so Mm. to speak, because you had so many people in these areas that simply weren't being represented, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, They may agree with them on some things, but to have no representation on some of these issues just didn't make sense. But at the same time, I saw that my Republican uh, friends and in other parts of the metropolitan area were feeling that sometimes their party was going too far to the right, uh, that their party wasn't being as compassionate on some issues as they should be. Uh, and so it just got me to start thinking through how could we be more faithful in this. I ended up running to be, a, as you mentioned, to be a delegate at the Democratic National Convention in 2012. While I was at that convention, one of the things that happened was uh, the far left was trying to take God given uh, out of the platform. Mm. And um, it was interesting because, you know, we got there, we hear that it's gonna try, they're going to try to take it out of the platform. And what happens is all the delegations you have, each state has a delegation, you all meet <clears throat> in, in what is a, a really large um, stadium or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, coliseum. 
And uh, this was a voice vote. So it came up for voice vote, and whoever was the loudest meant they would t- take <laughs> it in or leave it out. And it was very clear to me that the people that wanted it out at that time were louder than the people that wanted to keep it in. Hmm. And, and that really spoke to me. Um, that To say, you know, if I'm going to stay in the party, then I need to make sure that the voices of people like myself are heard and yeah. that people aren't afraid to kind of speak up. So I went back home to Atlanta, um, and... I was really driven to to change things and kind of create an organization to help to help you know just to help create a framework for people to be more biblical in the public square. So I went back. I started anybody who I can get in touch with that I knew was a Christian that I knew was like me, either running campaigns or maybe they were running their county party. I just take them to to lunch, talk to them, see how were they they were feeling, and over time. Most of them revealed that they weren't comfortable with how far left the party was going, but they didn't want to be blacklisted, right? They sure. they needed a job. They need you know <laughs> they wanted to be part of the process, right? And so they really didn't know what to do. And so we started meeting up uh, at my church and what was really like a Bible study slash support group. Hmm. So we would look at um, how Daniel interacted with government, Joseph. We'd look at how the Apostle Paul acted when he was in Athens and the Agora and how he persuaded people and kind of apply that to what we were going through. Yeah. Um, and I ended up calling the, the group uh, Crucifix and Politics. Okay. And one of the things that I noticed as we were getting together, because it's maybe like eight or ten of us at the most, um, that after we left and we would go to a party meeting, Everyone that was in that group was bolder, was emboldened because they knew that at least there was somebody else behind them. They weren't alone. Yeah. So a light bulb went off for me on that. And I said, okay, there's there's something to this. Yeah. Uh, and so I kept meeting people, kept trying to be bring people in. But I, I also realized that the change wasn't necessarily going to come from the uh, political class, that it was going to come from the church. It was going to come from pastors. It was going to come from people in the pews. Yeah. And started reaching out to kind of young pastors, church planners. To see if they were interested, ended up meeting a Christian artist named Show Baraka, who's one of the co-founders of my organization, the Ann Campaign, and a pastor named Angel Maldonado, and we ended up creating the Ann Campaign. And, and the Ann Campaign wasn't just to address uh, Democrat politics; it was to address just the political arena in general. Sure. And we said, well, the problem seems to be our diagnosis was the problem was that our political. Um, landscape seemed to separate justice from moral order, mm-hmm. right? So people on the left were about justice. Uh, they were about love and all that stuff. And then people on the right were about moral order and truth. Yeah. And when we looked at the gospel, we didn't see that dichotomy. Uh, we, we felt like that was something that the world was presenting us with, but it was false. Yeah. And so the end campaign literally meant that we weren't going to make that false choice, yeah. that we were going to be about moral order and um, justice, that we're going to be about love and truth rather than separating them, because that's what we saw in the gospel. That's what we saw from Jesus. Sure. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Thanks for, for sharing that. And uh, I want to come back to that a little bit. Just as an Old Testament professor, there's some thoughts that are stirring in my mind about what you're, about what you're saying. But I'm, I'm just curious to know, you know, as I look at the world, we're so, we're so polarized, and we've, we've gotten to a place where it seems like the mindset is that the people who are on the other side of the political aisle they're not just wrong or misguided in people's minds they're evil they're bad and and so how how do you attempt to kind of address that so that we're we're able to see each other not as particularly christians you know Demo- democrats and republicans who are christians we're brothers and sisters we're not 
we're not enemies, mm-hmm. and and we don't have to. We won't necessarily agree on everything, but uh, but there's a lot that we can agree on and stuff. But how do you how do you approach that in a highly polarized world like this? Yeah, I think what you're describing is contempt, right? It's not yeah. it's not just anger. Uh, Arthur Brooks in one in his new book talks yes. about it being contempt, and that's a great and that's book. exactly what it is. It's it's trying to dismiss the other people. You get this feeling that our country will only be better if. Democrats run everything or if Republicans run everything, we just got to get these other people out of the way because they're yeah. they're irredeemable. They don't even right? need to exist. Right. They yeah. don't need, we just need to get them out the way and then everything will be better once we get them out the way. Yes. One thing that I talk about, especially with the, and the body, I think the beauty of the situation we have, even though it doesn't look that way, is that you have biblical Christians on both sides of this conversation. You have yeah. biblical Christians who, who have a high view of scripture in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, yeah. which tells me that you have people that have a lot more in common then should separate them. Yeah. Now, we don't need to agree on every single issue, yep. but if we truly believe in the word, then we have the same great commission, we have you know, we have the same great requirement, all of those things, which should be common ground to bring us together because what we're missing in our political landscape is the common ground. And so what the AND campaign tries to do is to say, you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, but understand that you have to be a Christian first and yes. that if we put Christian principles first, while you and I may disagree on the marginal tax rate, there are some things that we should very clearly agree on and not just agree on, but be willing to advocate together on, whether it's poverty, whether it's an abortion issue, religious freedom or criminal justice. All Christians should care about that if they have a high view of scripture. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're saying, hey, the ideology, put it aside for a second because it's flawed and because it can mislead you and focus on the biblical values first and foremost. One of the things I read um, in, I can't remember if it was an interview that you did or if it was in a podcast that I heard, which, whichever was it was, but you talked about um, kind of ideology drawing us, drawing people in as opposed, and, and in a sense, converting them instead of uh, the gospel. Uh, can you say a little more about that and how that yeah. works? Yeah, it seems like when, when Christians go into politics, we become converts to either progressivism or uh, conservatism. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of forget where our theology begins and our ideology or our culture uh, begins. Yeah. And that's one of the big problems. A lot of people are holding views that are really purely ideological or cultural, but they mistake that for actually being biblical. Yes. And when you press them on it, they get so defensive that they really can't hear you out. And I, I think that's part of the problem. We go in not understanding that there are elements in both parties and all the ideological tribes that benefit from the separation of Christians, from Christians not being able to see eye to eye, to eye when it comes to certain issues. Yeah. Uh, because if Christians were able to see eye to eye, as we talked about before, you have Christians on both sides, then it completely changes, it completely changes the landscape. Yeah. So there's people who have an interest in not seeing that happen. So I think we have to be very clear. And one thing I tell people, you have to go into the political landscape, into these ideological tribes, knowing where they're wrong at. Mm. Right. Never feeling like your side is completely right, yep. because if that's the case, then you've been indoctrinated <laughs> and, and a Christian should never be indoctrinated by you know, these ideologies that were really made by human hands. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a big problem. And, and, you know, one of the ways that we see it with the AND campaign is we'll anytime we critique the church, because I think the church can be critiqued. Sure. Uh, people love that. <laughs> but if you critique their party, you critique a, a politician that they like, they get really upset. Yeah. And that says a lot. And I think yep. we need to sit back and kind of and uh, analyze what that what that says about us. Yeah. Boy, that's a that's a great insight. I know that when I was a pastor, uh, I served as a pastor for four and a half years before I was in this role. And it uh, I, I think that's right. You know, I 
I didn't, I, I wasn't concerned when I would go into the pulpit in knowing in my sermon that I was going to be critiquing a theological idea or something like that. But if I was saying something that people would take as criticizing the United States, for example, uh, which I love this country, I'm a veteran, and I'm proud to have served, but it's also not perfect. And, and so, but if I, if I would say something that would criticize this country, and, and I didn't talk about party, but you know, that would get people a lot more upset than, than talking about a theological issue. Yeah, I mean, it just tells you where, people's, where people place their identities. Yeah. Um, we, we very clearly tell people your identity should never be in a political party. If you knew what happened, the indecent exchanges and, and how they actually came to where they are in their platform and their mm. ideas, you would never want to uh, put your identity into a political party because it's not something that's pure. It's not something that just happens. There's power plays. There's sure. dirty money. All kinds of things go into what a party decides or what your favorite uh, uh, commentator says. Right. It's not that there's not, you know, and that's not to, to question the integrity of everyone, but I want to be very clear if you knew what goes on behind the scenes, you'd never want to attach your identity to something like that, especially when you know better, especially when you have the, the gospel and you, and you know uh, how it can speak. So I think most Christians, once you, once you, uh, if, if you can get them not to be so self defensive about it, if you can have an open conversation, they begin to realize, yeah, my party does have a lot of issues. And the other thing about admitting that your side has issues is that now you have the credibility to have a real conversation with the other side. Yep. So much of the problem that we have is that, well, if you can't see any of the problems on your side, then I, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Sure. But when I can say, yeah, the Democrats have plenty of problems, and in fact, they don't always need to win. Sometimes they need to lose, and mm-hmm. I can say that as a Democrat. Now I can have an open conversation with a Republican and be intellectually honest and maybe get somewhere from there, but you got to be able to critique your own side. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it it occurs to me that what you're talking about and the, the gospel-centered nature of what you're talking about is so important because the gospel is more important for our identity, for our, our worldview, all these kinds of things. And, and I wanted to mention that uh, as I hear you talk and as I think about what you're trying to do with the Ant campaign, you know, there's roots of this in, in the Old Testament. I think about, I'm, I did my doctorate in the book of Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, there's the call to appoint judges. And what's interesting about that is that the the call to pursue what's sometimes translated as justice or righteousness, whatever the case may be, that's for the community as a whole. And, and a lot of times people jump and think that the judges that are that are going to be appointed are being addressed in that, that they are to pursue righteousness. But actually it's the community as a whole. So so this whole idea of of Justice, which, and I, I prefer the term righteousness in that context, but that includes the idea of forensic justice, and and the examples that are used as example of unrighteousness in that in that passage are all religious. Mm-hmm. So it's the the fusion of the you know kind of exactly what you're talking about. This idea of pursuing a, a different kind of community that's based on the character of God, and and that means that. The marginalized are included, and we care about things like the poor and and all the issues that you're talking about. But that's a an explicitly religious obligation that people are are living out. And of course, I don't think Jesus is doing anything different in in the New Testament. I think he's he's building on that. 
Yeah, I mean, as you know, you go through the book of Isaiah and you hear so much about justice, the importance of justice. We have a God of justice. Yeah. Now, how is it that we could have a God of justice and be his servants and not do his work? Right. Right. The definition of a servant is that you're going to do your master's bidding. Right. And so that's so important. The other, the other thing that we talk about a lot is how uh, interdependent justice and moral order or justice and righteousness are. Right. To, to say, you know, if you're about, because we have a lot of Christians say, I'm, I just want to talk about social justice. Yep. Well, you can't just talk about social justice if you don't have moral order. Yep. If you don't have truth, you have no standard by which to tell somebody to be just. Yeah. Um, and so people need to understand that those things go together and nothing shows us how those go together better than the gospel, better than, you know, going through the scripture and seeing and seeing how those things work together. But people have to see that. I mean, they have to be exposed to how those work together so that it is a false dichotomy. We should we should never feel like we can be loving and not and, and not have truth attached to what it means to be loving. Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to shift our, our focus a little bit uh, and think about, you know, for our listeners who are pastors and ministry leaders, that sort of thing, what thoughts do you have about how they can uh, help their congregations come to a, a different understanding of this? I think whether they're oriented more in a progressive way or a conservative way, there's, there's this pressure that we've been talking about, and yet there's the truth of what we've also been talking about. So, so what suggestions do you have for how, how pastors and ministry leaders might help their congregations to begin to kind of break out of the, the boxes that we put ourselves in and we, we accept being in to, to see things differently and, and move in a different direction? Sure. And, and, and I understand for pastors, this can be very tough. Uh, I think sometimes we're too strident in what we tell pastors they have to do mm-hmm. and not understanding the balances and the, the, the primary, you know, their primary purpose to make sure they do that. So I'm, I'm hesitant. Obviously, I, I always have suggestions, but I think people need to be more hesitant in telling pastors <laughs> what to do. I think one good way to do it is, to, is number one, you're, you're, you want your congregation to be informed. When I first started the AND campaign and we were talking about justice, we were talking about the history of injustice in America. I assumed that everybody knew that, but just Mm. didn't, you know, some people just didn't care. Mm -hmm. But I began to see that a lot of people really don't know the depth of injustice and how it it has a lasting effect. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the best things you can do is really help people bring in speakers and others who can talk about it in an aspirational way, because Mm -hmm. not everybody that that talks about justice is going to do it in a way that's constructive. But if you can find people who are doing it in an aspirational way to inform people about about what's going on, uh, I think that's a a big part of it. Um, and, And then, you know, when you can... Uh, fellowship, fellowshipping and partnering with churches that may come from a different demographic, mm. right? To have those conversations. Because for the AND campaign, all this, all this talk, I mean, we don't see politics as an ultimate thing. So mm-hmm. it's great that we use it as a tool. It's great that we see how important it is. But really, we want to get to reconciliation. Right? Yeah. We, we want to get to uh, having a broken church uh, come together and be the church that we should be. And we want to use politics as a tool to do that. Mm-hmm. And so much of the conversation when we talk about race, we have to realize that, yes, we're divided racially as a, as a church in, in many instances, but that racial divide is also coupled with a um, 
a political divide. And so we, we kind of want to take both of those and, and help people heal. But you can't do that without building relationships. So when pastors can bring relationships, when they can bring somebody from outside of their community into the community to have a conversation about uh, politics, justice or whatever, someone who's not going to you know say that the Democrats are all right or Republicans are all right, but I'm going to have a real conversation because we all have blind spots. Right. And yeah. you don't necessarily see your blind spots unless you have somebody who's willing to be honest with you, uh, come from a biblical perspective and say, hey, here's what you could do better. Here's what my side gets wrong. Here's something that you might be able to do better. Yeah, that's great. What about in terms of uh, helping people come to see their their identity is bound up not in parties, uh, but in Christ? And I think we have a, many people have that awareness that as as Christians, of course, our identity is first and foremost in in Christ. And if you ask somebody that on a on a true false test, they're going to get it right every time. You know, are you are you first this or that? But when it comes to you know that that's on Sunday morning. <laughs> when it comes to watching the news through the rest of the week, or when it goes into the voting booth, I think a lot of times uh, we we do tend to say our identity is this party or or that party. So, what thoughts do you have about how how we can help people to to see that kind of all encompassing nature of their their Christian identity. Do you have any any thoughts or ideas, suggestions about that? Yeah, I think the first thing that we try to do, and it's a it's um it's a delicate you know kind of a delicate balance. But one of the first things we try to do, as I said earlier, is get people to see the flaws on their side of mm-hmm. the aisle. Yeah, right. To really say, okay, I understand you see what's wrong with the other side. Do you see what's wrong with your side? And if you don't. That may be mean that you're being somewhat intellectually lazy, mm-hmm. right? Because there are some things that you that you need to deal with on your side of the aisle, um, and then helping people understand also that if you expect the other side to change, then you have to consider how hard that is, and that you may not want to change either. That there are things that they're asking you to do, sure. and it seems obvious to them, just as obvious as as it seems to you. Are you taking the time and do you have the humility to really deal with those issues? And again, a lot of that comes from being exposed to people that are coming from a different perspective who, again, are biblical, but are coming from a different perspective that can open people's eyes and say, oh, I didn't know that's what we were doing. Mm. Um, It's so easy these days for people, you know, to see something go wrong with another party. They bring up something they did. And it's that what about ism. Right. Right. Yeah, we did this wrong, but what about you? Right. Christians can't do that. Yeah. Uh, Christians have to understand that if I've done something wrong, I don't care if the other side has done 99 things wrong. If I've done one thing wrong, I got I have to deal with it. Yeah. I can't just point to them and because it's a it's a never-ending cycle. And yeah. I think again, we there are people in both parties that perpetuate that cycle because it allows them to get away f- with whatever they want to get away with. Right. It is more important for us to uh, critique and to uh, correct our side of the argument than the other side. Because the Mm. truth of the matter is, the other side's not even listening to you, most likely. So you're going to get the most work done. You're going to be the most productive if you're critiquing your side and, in turn, giving your side the credibility to have a conversation with the other side. Mm. So, yeah, I I think it's it's honesty. It's bringing people in who can show you those blind spots and say, here's what you get wrong. Because until you can list three to five things that your side gets wrong, you're not going to be an honest participant in this conversation. Yeah. Boy, as you're talking, Justin, it almost sounds like you're talking about uh, dealing with the speck, uh, the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your you <laughs> in your neighbor's eye. Yeah. I've heard that somewhere else before. Yeah, I somewhere. think uh, I, I think I think that's good. Um, 
as I think about that, it occurs to me that uh, that could be such a fruitful avenue if there if there could be people who are willing to have those kinds of conversations where you talked about people with a different perspective and and being willing to engage in an honest conversation. Uh, that that'd be huge. Yeah, that's I mean, that's even an activity that we've done at a church before. So I've spoken at a church and at the end we had everybody get into small groups and each person list three things. OK, where do you lean? Do you lean to the left or lean to the right? What does your side get wrong and not have any conversation about the, what the other side gets wrong yeah. that day? Talk about what your side gets wrong and what they and what they can do better. And then something that the other side says that is actually right. And how can I fight for those things on my side of the issue? Because the truth of the matter is. We have to get different messengers and different messages on these issues to move them forward. Mm-hmm. If we have the same people talking about abortion and religious liberty, it becomes white noise and people stop listening. If we mm-hmm. have the same people talking about injustice and, and all those things. But if we have different messengers, if a white evangelical can go to his his uh, tribe, so to speak, and talk about injustice, or if I can go to my tribe and talk about religious liberty and the abortion issues, then we actually get some movement because we have different messengers. Yeah. Uh, but to do that, I have to be able to critique where, what I'm, what my side is not doing, and what we can do better. Yeah, boy, that's great. I think about in my own uh, in my own life. Just uh, I have a friend who were we're at opposite ends of the political spectrum, and and we've had great conversations, but we respect each other as she's she's a believer, and and I have no questions about her faith, and and so. We, we have great conversations because we, we can use each other as sounding boards in a lot of ways. And so there are times where she'll come to me and she's like, I can't believe anybody believes X. And, and I'll say, well, I believe X and here's, and here's why. And then she goes back and says, okay, somebody that I respect and, and you know, trust as a believer and, and with uh, you know, some intelligence believes that. And I'll do the same thing with her. I'll be like, I can't believe anybody thinks why. And she'll say, well, I believe why. And, and so we have that conversation that really helps to, to recognize that there's not, truth isn't limited to one side or the other sure. in this and that, and that people can have good, they, they can take a stand for, for reasons that are sound, even if I happen to disagree with it. And I, I think at a personal level, that's been really beneficial for me. I can see that being really beneficial at a congregational level and, and systemically as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there resources that you could, uh, you could recommend? Our, our time is coming to an end, um, but are there any resources that you can suggest that interested listeners can check out? Um, I know that, I mean, there's the website for the, the AND campaign. We'll certainly put that in the show notes, but uh, are there other resources that you would recommend for our listeners that they can check out along these lines? Sure. Uh, I would recommend, um, we have a podcast. It's called the Church Politics Podcast, where we talk about uh we talk about political issues from a biblical worldview, and so I think that's that's been really helpful for people. We also have our civic updates, where I will, for 10 minutes, talk about a specific issue, again, from a biblical worldview. I think it's helpful. And then um, we are coming out with a book. So we just wrote a book uh, with InterVarsity Press. It's called um, Compassion and Conviction, the Anne Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. So uh, June 2020, that'll be out. Okay. And I think... The point of that is hopefully to help Christians go into 2020 better than we came out of 2016. <laughs> well, I pray that's the case because <laughs> that certainly is uh, is the case. Well, congratulations on the book. That's really uh, that's really exciting, and uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely look 
forward to that. And I'll, as I say, I'll put all these resources in the show notes that right. folks can uh, do that. Are you are you active on social media? Do you have are you on Twitter? Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. thing. So folks yeah, we're you? we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram, and so we're always putting content and messages out, and in that regard as well. Okay, well we'll we'll make sure that we have uh, ways for people to to follow you on that. So, Great, thank yeah. you. Well, Justin, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for for taking the time and uh, helping share a little bit for our listeners about uh, this really, really important topic. And as I think about going into 2020, I might might see if we can get you back in 2020 and uh, refresh this conversation a little bit, because I think it's it's such an important one and uh, and one that is, is vital for the church and for society. Yeah. Well, thank you, Peter. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, thank you for listening. This is Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. You can subscribe to Whole and Holy on iTunes and Stitcher. If you would take the time to go and and rate us on those platforms, that helps people to find us. The higher our ratings, the the higher we are in the listings and people can, can find us. And as always, if you have feedback about these episodes or suggestions of what you'd like to hear, you can email us at holeandholy at bethel.edu. There's a, a dash between the words, so it's whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. I welcome your, your feedback, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, by emailing us at wholeandholy at bethel.edu. Once again, that address is wholeandholy at bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.